Hi, this is Christina Mendonca. Welcome to this episode number five of A Fresh Agenda. This is A Fresh Agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. Hello, I'm Christina Mendonca, and this is A Fresh Agenda, where we talk to innovators, entrepreneurs, and people who are doing the deep work to make life better for all of us. Even before this season's devastating wildfires in Northern California, I was researching this NASA U.S. Forest Service project to build better emergency fire shelters. Now, these are those foil-looking pouches that firefighters unfold and crawl into when they're trapped in a wildland fire. They are, in many cases, a life-saving last resort, but they're definitely not a guarantee. I saw this small article in Scientific American about these new space-age shelters being developed using technology that NASA uses to protect spacecraft on re-entry through the Earth's atmosphere, and I was fascinated at how they were doing this. NASA and the U.S. Forest Service, working together, decided to investigate improvements to shelters after the Yarnell Hill disaster in 2013. Now, a movie out this week called Only the Brave tells the story of the Yarnell Hill 19. Now, these were firefighters on a hotshot crew. They died in Arizona four years ago when their emergency fire shelters failed in 2,000-degree heat. That awful tragedy was the inspiration for NASA and the U.S. Forest Service to work together on shelter improvement. And they have had some breakthroughs in the three years that this program has been in place. And while the new and improved shelters won't be ready for this fire season, they could be ready sometime in 2018. I got a hold of the head thermal scientist working on these new shelters. His name is Josh Fody, and we spoke as he was heading up to the University of Alberta to test these new shelters. The U.S. Forest Service contracts with this Canadian university because they have a patch of forest where they can do controlled burns and test this kind of equipment. When you look at the the current technology that's available to the firefighters with the with the fire shelters, um, what temperatures can they withstand and what did you see immediately you thought that you could improve? Well, so it, it's less, it's probably less um, helpful to think of it in terms of temperatures and more, ac- more accurately, it's the amount of heat, that, the amount of energy that the shelters can be exposed to and withstand. And in heat transfer, energy is, is transferred in three major modes, conduction, convection, and radiation. The current fire shelter is a very, very good method of protecting firefighters against uh, energy that comes in the form of radiation. So if you clear a deployment site of fuels such as grasses and branches and twigs and you set up your current fire shelter um, in a fire were to pass dangerously close to the firefighters that are deployed, they would very likely survive that type of an environment. It's a very useful tool because that is a radiant environment. You can think of sitting around a campfire, right? You can feel the heat from the fire. You're not necessarily putting your hands in the flames. Where the current fire shelter has a weakness is when those flames contact the shelter directly. And that mode of heat transfer shifts from predominantly radiant to predominantly convective. And that means the energy is transferring by means of the hot gases of the fire directly touching the shelter material itself. Uh, So what we were hoping to do, and I think we've been pretty successful at this point, is use some of the concepts and some of the tricks that we've learned in the past 12 or 13 years of developing uh, flexible heat shield materials for inflatable decelerators here at NASA Langley um, and using those concepts as a, as a way to embolden the existing fire shelter technology so that uh, that convective heating can be 
better handled for a longer period of time. How do you compare the environments of you know, a shuttle on a reentry to a wildland fire? I mean, how are those environments similar? Well, they're, they're similar in some ways, and they're very, very different in other ways. Um, they're similar in that the predominant mode of heat transfer is convection. You've got hot gases uh, traveling very quickly across the surface, transferring a lot of energy into the materials. Uh, it's a, we call a one-and-done concept, meaning this, the heat shield, the, sh the fire shelter, they're both sort of designed to be used you know, in, in perfect condition, taken out, used to protect from the exposure, and then thrown away afterwards. They're not designed to be reused. Well, at least most, there are, there are uh, reentry vehicle systems that are designed to be reused, but not, not most of them, not the inflatable structures for sure. Um, also, the, it's, a, it's called a heat pulse, so it starts off kind of low amount of energy. It goes up to a peak, and then it, and it comes back down again towards the end. So it's a short-duration exposure that has to be uh, endured. And also, there's some, some, something you're trying to protect. In the case of a, you know, an inflatable heat shield, you're trying to protect the inflatable structure underneath from heat. So there's a maximum temperature that those materials can be taken to and withstand. In the case of a fire shelter, the firefighters, obviously, they the thing you're trying to person you're trying to protect so there's a maximum temperature that you can reasonably be taken to and survive that type of a situation those are the common things the differences after that are mostly in the sense of the the the, the uh, amount of energy you're exposed to a reentry uh, heat flux is significantly higher than what a, the hottest forest fire ever ever recorded is it comes nowhere near the same amount of energy so we design the materials Differently, we use different materials. We use uh, different weights. Cost is less of an issue on uh, a vehicle re-entering an atmosphere than it is in a fire shelter. I think the current fire shelter can be purchased online for a few hundred dollars, which is uh, makes it somewhat difficult to design uh, improvements for because we need to keep cost in mind in that constrained sense. Thing with weight and packed volume, these firefighters have to carry the shelters around all day long on their on their in their line packs. And um, so they're very concerned with how much the shelter weighs and how large the shelter is when it's packaged. And that's, that's obviously still a concern with the, you know, uh, reentry application, but it is, it is somewhat different. Um, and one final difference would be on, on Earth, we have oxygen. In space, we don't. So we can use materials in space that would normally oxidize, such as carbon. Uh, you can think of putting a charcoal briquette in your grill. If you expose it to a lot of heat, it will actually start to burn oxygen on Earth, and that won't happen in space. Carbon can be a really good uh, radiant insulator in space, uh, so we can use carbon materials in space, not here on Earth. You mentioned the inflatables, and one of the articles I read, I thought that explained it very well, was the flecks of graphite in the material that expand. Can you tell me more about that? That's very interesting. It's a commercial product. It's called intumescent graphite. Uh, intumescent just means um, it's something that expands upon heating. So it's graphite that's been steeped in a, a chemical solution. Probably most of it is water. Um, and what happens is when it's exposed to heat, the water tries to boil away, and the water um, within the graphite can't escape so rapidly, so it actually deforms the graphite, forming these large cavities. And it can, it can cause a volumetric expansion of up to 12 to 1 uh, when compared to its unexpanded state. 
if you've ever played with the those little grow worms on the 4th of July, it's like a little pellet and you light the top of it and it kind of turns into this really long snaky thing when it's done burning. It's really the same concept. And that helps us because uh, we can embed insulations with these intumescent graphite flakes. You can think of it like a smart material. So you can pack this tiny little shelter around all day long and it doesn't take so much volume up. But then when you really need it to turn into a big puffy blanket, uh, it does so right at the perfect moment, and that's when it's exposed to heating. Is that something as a direct result of the Space Age technology, or is that something in existence that you used within this new product? Uh, it's something that existed before we began our project. I can't really tell you where it originated. It may have come from space technology. It may not have. I don't know. Okay. Uh, if you can give me a comparison of how much more protective these new shelters would be if all of the testing goes goes correctly. Uh, um, you know, I think temperature, I know you said temperature is not the best comparison, but I think for viewers and listeners, it might be easiest to understand. What would be the difference between current shelters and the future shelters that, that you're designing? Um, well, so let me just clarify a bit. So the reason temperature is not the best way to to understand is because if to really truly say this shelter could take this temperature, this shelter could not could take this other temperature, you would assume the shelter came to what we in engineering call steady state, meaning that you've you know let's say you put a you put a turkey in the oven at 450 degrees Celsius and you let it sit there for three minutes, the turkey's probably still relatively cool, but it was exposed to 450 degrees Celsius for three minutes. Well, then if you leave the turkey in there for 14 hours, at some point that turkey is also 450 Celsius. We're never taking our shelters to a point of steady state. We're never leaving the firefighter in a situation where the shelter and the contents of the shelter are going to be equal to the temperature of the flames. So what's really most helpful would be to say, how long did it take the inside of the shelter where the firefighter would be to reach a temperature that we believe to be not survivable? And that's just one measure, but it's an important measure. So um, what what... Current testing that we have just concluded, and we're, we're about to go back to uh, the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada, which is where the Forest Service contracts all their full-scale fire shelter and small material sample testing uh, for this shelter revision effort. We're going to be going back there in about two weeks to do another round of tests. Um, in, the, in the most recent test, we, had, um, we actually had net... Uh, reached the maximum amount of time the test rig could be turned on for before the test rig became uh, too hot to continue testing without reaching any of the – we have five failure criterion, and we never reached any of those five failure criterion in that full two minutes that the test rig could be turned on to. So if we were allowed to continue testing past two minutes, we would have reached some failure criterion, but we don't know exactly what that is. By best guess, if you could extrapolate beyond that two minutes, I would say we probably are somewhere on the order of twice the duration of the current fire shelter as far as survivability goes. Wow, that's fantastic. So in this next round of testing, is this going to be similarly focused or are you looking for for other uh, other information, other data? Um, no, it's the same same goals. We're still trying to make a lightweight, affordable, durable shelter that can be easily manufactured and give the firefighter the best possible chance of survival. Um, these ne this next test is focusing on some concepts that are a, a little bit lighter and a little bit smaller than the one that we just recently tested. The one that we recently tested was 
was really in the same ballpark. I don't want to paint a picture that it was you know this large bulky thing. It was not, but um, we can do better. And I know that the Forest Service had uh, conducted a survey with firefighters. I think about two years ago. You'd have to uh, cross check that. Um, they have a website, National Interagency Fire Something Center, I think, NIFC. Um, and that sur survey, I believe, is up on that website. But it, it so I was surprised to find mo there there was a large uh, portion of firefighters who would be happy to take a shelter that uh, gave them actually worse protection, but weighed less and had less volume. So wow. we're taking those volume and mass constraints very seriously. So that's the reason for the reduction. What is the current weight of a fire shelter? It's, is it about four pounds? I thought I read something about four pounds. Yeah, 4.3 pounds, roughly, packed. And uh, it takes about 230 cubic inches of space up when it's packaged. And the current shelters or the shelters that you just finished testing, are they significantly more? No, they're, I think we're, we're somewhere in the high four pounds. Uh, we, you know, there were a couple different concepts, but, you know, somewhere between four and a half and five pounds. And our packed volume is it's tough to say. We haven't done a whole lot of packing. We have succeeded in packing a very similar shelter into uh, the same carrying case. So it's, you know, somewhere close to the same volume, but I can't tell you exactly what the number is. With all of the uh, fires that are currently happening in California, and we've had already, you know, 20 people die in, in our fires out here. Do you ever see an application for something like this in housing materials or, or other kinds of materials that might protect people from fire? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That, that there would, uh, you know, certainly be a, you know, if there's a company that wanted to try to make manufacture some kind of a blanket that would cover a house or a roof or, you know, uh, protect vehicles or I don't know. I mean, yeah, the materials, you know, it would be used, uh, able to be used for many different uh, applications where you're trying to protect something or someone from heat. And um, yeah, I, we've done a lot of testing. We've we've tested 300 uh, plus unique material layups in our small 1D test rig here in, in at NASA Langley. It just uses like a Bunsen burner style heating source. Um, and we have a, we have data on a large range of, of uh, heat exposure applications. So I would say, you know, if you were going to try to provide protection from a house where maybe mass and volume wasn't as uh, constrained as a fire shelter would be, but you wanted better protection, you could certainly look at. You know, we have data that would be useful for that. Um, we don't we aren't in the business of making money though, so we're probably not going to be looking at that. But um, you know, if there are companies out there that are interested, I, I know the NASA has a tech transfer office, and I'm sure they could find ways to um, to touch base with them. How satisfying is it to work on a project like this? I mean, most most of the time we think of NASA scientists as having their eyes to the skies, not necessarily uh, trying to, to do uh, big things like this here at home that might protect current, you know, firefighters, for instance. So how satisfying is this? Well, there's two things I want to say about that. First of all, it is it is satisfying, but we're trying not to get, well, I'm trying not to get too excited yet because we're not finished. We need to make sure we see this thing through to, to the end before we start really patting ourselves on the back too much here. But it is rewarding to see the progress that we've been able to make in the past, you know, three and a half years or so, you know, going from 
just sort of trying to figure out the problem to really starting to make some strides and overcome some challenges we've had. Um, the other point I wanted to make is that uh, I I know that you know the majority of NASA projects are sort of as you said looking up towards the sky, but I personally believe the biggest benefit of NASA to to our economy and to our our uh, country is all the things that we've come up with that have then been able to be used here on on Earth and bolster the the economy of the United States of America. I mean, you know, I, I say this quite a bit. If it to me personally, it's not so important whether or not or when we get to Mars, but what's important is all the things that are impossible about that mission that will have to be invented and then be able to be used in our economy later that make our mission to Mars important. And I think that's the greatest benefit that NASA contributes. So yeah, there's 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 a lot of, you know, look up to the sky and see what we can, you know, exploration and all that, but there are all kinds of things that, you know, come back to, to benefit us in the process of doing that. And as you're working, are you so uh, intensely focused on your projects or or are you, when, when big fires happen, like what's happening in California, are you aware? Is that in the back of your mind as you're working on this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's national news. It's similar to Yarnell Hill was national news. You know, everybody pays attention. And, you know, we, we have, uh, my wife and I have been visiting out in San Francisco Bay Area. We really love the area. We have friends that work out there at NASA Ames and other places. And we're definitely, everyone there is in our thoughts. I can't imagine, you know, going through something like that where you could lose everything you own in a fire, you know, or worse. So, um, yeah, it makes it real. Uh, we also work with the Forest Service fairly closely. So, you know, for example, there were fires in Montana and Idaho earlier this fire season, and a lot of our contacts at the Forest Service were busy helping to fight those fires. So it's definitely something that we, we think about and hear about often. Josh, is there something I haven't asked you about this project you think is important to note or anything else you'd like to say about it? Um, no, I think you covered it. I mean, I just, I, I just want to you know, express that I'm very grateful to be able to work on this with so many talented people, both here at NASA and also in the Forest Service. And I think it's a, I think it's a really uh, important effort. And I think this is sort of your government at work. You know, to I want to say that to America, this is your government at work trying to help uh, protect, you know, protect land from fire, but also protect the people who are doing that job as well. I know there's a movie coming out here in, uh, on August 20th, I believe. It's about the Yarnell Hill fire itself. So. If people hear this, you know, think about that when you're in, in the movie. Just remember there are people that are trying to make things better and trying to make this safer for everybody. Our thanks to Josh Fody, thermal engineer with NASA, who is up in Alberta this week testing those new fire shelters. They should be out sometime in 2018 and available to crews fighting wildfires all over the United States and up into Canada as well. So we thank him for his time. By the way, the movie... Only the Brave, Josh misspoke. He said August 20th is actually October 20th. That movie is out right now, which talks about the Yarnell Hill 19, which was that horrible incident that was the inspiration for NASA and the U.S. Forest Service to work together. If you would like more information, you want to see perhaps some of the testing in action, you can go to my website, ChristinaMendonca.com. I've posted a story there, and it's on my Facebook pages as well, and you can contact me through that website as well. Thanks for being here for a fresh agenda. Until next time. This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.